0: Welcome to the Guernsey Press Arts Podcast, a podcast about the arts in Guernsey, produced by the press and presented by me, Simon Dullarue. On this month's show, we'll catch up with Larry Malchich about the exciting new Victor Hugo Centre, for which plans are now well advanced. And we'll be hearing from the music adjudicator at this year's Guernsey Eisteddfod, which is now in full swing. This month we're also launching a regular feature on this podcast feed, wherein the Head of Arts Development at Guernsey Arts, Russ Fossey, lays out in more detail one of the nine pillars of their long-term plan for the arts, and we're kicking off with a focus on festivals. So we'll also be joined by the Director of the Guernsey Literary Festival, Claire Allen, and Jade Kershaw, who's a member of the Vale Earth Fair Collective. When Victor Hugo arrived on a small boat at Havillet Bay in 1855, the story goes that his briefcase fell into the water but was fished out by a Guernseyman and returned to him before the novel manuscript within had been significantly damaged. Thus began a relationship between a foreign literary and political giant and the noble little people of the island he was to call home for a decade and a half. His enthusiastic reception may also have been helped by his having just been kicked out of Jersey for upsetting the authorities there. Jersey has long since demolished the house he lived in in his short time there, while here in Guernsey we have the extraordinary City of Paris-owned Hauteville House, which continues to fascinate locals and visitors alike. But in the next few years there may be another focal point for All Matters Hugo, a cultural centre named after him and based in town at what is now the tourist information centre, one that will serve not one, but three important functions. My colleague Tom Porter met up with the chairman of the Victor Hugo Centre Group, Larry Malchich, to find out more, and he began by asking him how he came to be involved in such an endeavour.
1: I'm an architect by background. Uh, I've practised in London for uh, about 30 years and I was the architect for the, uh, the Winston Churchill Museum and cabinet war rooms in London, uh, the uh, Darwin Center at the Natural History Museum, uh, the Enlightenment Gallery at uh, the British Museum. So I know a bit about museum and interpretation center design. I came to the island, uh, to Guernsey uh, uh, many years ago, really because I have to say I came for love. <laughs> I uh, married a Guernsey girl, and when our second son was born, uh, we were keen that the boys grow up here in Guernsey. And so, for uh, more than twenty years, I commuted every week on the uh, seven a.m. Orini flight to uh, to London, and continued my practice there. But uh, but grew to know and uh, and and enjoy Guernsey in all its aspects. And. One of those aspects is, of course, Victor Hugo. Uh, Hugo is Guernsey's most famous resident and someone who I think uh, could uh, be a great asset to the island. It's an asset that is uh, under, underexplored and underexploited. And so in uh, discussions with uh, an excellent organization called the, the Victor Hugo and Guernsey Society, uh, they uh, do uh, monthly uh, scholarly activities about Victor Hugo, uh, studying him in his various aspects, uh, both his, uh, his life and legacy. And so uh, they were keen that, uh, that there'd be a, uh, a, better, a better story about Victor Hugo. And it's really the story of Victor Hugo and the island of Guernsey, and that special relationship that developed. Hugo arrived on the island in uh, in 1855 at the age of 53 years old, having not published uh, uh, much of significance in the previous decade. And yet, within a year of arriving in Guernsey, he published his most famous book of poetry, followed on with Les Miserables, The Toilers of the Sea, and most of his major works. And I think it can be very clearly explained that, uh, that Guernsey provided that, a, a new inspiration for him. It revitalized him as a, uh, as a writer and author, and, uh, and it fired his imagination. The ability to, uh, to actually uh, meet people and, uh, and, and do so in a way that really was quite different from his life in Paris and the Place de Vosges uh, he was able to uh, uh, to meet all walks of life and those stories and, uh, and understanding uh, uh, the, the lives of various people certainly helped to uh, to inform both Charles of the sea and les miserables but also the uh, the landscape and uh, and particularly the uh, the changing ever-changing nature of the sea itself uh, all of these were inspirations for him and so recognizing how important uh, Hugo is as a, uh, as a global figure and the fact that, uh, that there is, uh, we, we're very, very... Uh, uh, it's great that we have the, uh, the Haute- Hauteville House here, his, his home, mm-hmm. uh, but Hauteville House is in itself a total work of art. It is something that he conceived in every aspect and, uh, and oversaw every aspect of the building. But as a total work of art, it can't really be adapted uh, to, uh, to other needs. And so there's no exhibition space. Uh, there, is, uh, uh, there are restrictions on the number of people who can, uh, can enter the building. And so the Victor Hugo Center would be a great complement to that. Uh, because it would tell the story of Hugo's life in Guernsey. But more than that, it's also the story of Guernsey as an island of inspiration, a place where creativity abounds and not just as a historical tale of, uh, of what happened many years ago with Victor Hugo's inspiration, but it continues to inspire the creative community today. And that's why we want to have three parts to the centre. There is the uh, the Museum Interpretation Centre that uh, that explores the relationship between the island and Hugo and the the kind of creative imagination that, uh, that he derived from it. But there's also then going to be an exhibition performance and meeting space that will really showcase contemporary talent on the island that will be a place where people can exhibit uh, uh, their work, whether it be photography, uh, artwork, uh, a place for uh, dance and poetry readings, all kinds of ways in which uh, it can be explored. So the literary festival, for instance, it's an ideal location for some of their uh, activities, uh, given uh, the, uh, the emphasis on literature in Hugo's life. Uh, but the third part will then be an education study center as well. And that education study center will be a place where the school children of Guernsey, but also uh, school children from France and the UK, will be invited not just to learn about Hugo and his life and legacy, but also to, uh, uh, to really inspire their creativity so that they can be challenged to, uh, uh, to develop their own sense of, uh, of identity and, and talent.
2: tourist centre is the potential location of the Victor Hugo Centre. Why, why that location? Why did you choose that place?
1: Well, the uh, uh, the former state's offices are the uh, uh, the Guernsey Information Centre is a, uh, a a building that is extremely well located for a, uh, a, a museum interpretation centre and also for a, a place for the uh, uh, for all kinds of performance and, uh, and exhibition space. It is uh, very well known in the island and. Uh, as, as you know, in September of last year, uh, the president of the Economic Development Committee, uh, Neil Linder, announced the in-principle uh, agreement of the states to provide the building to us uh, as long as we're able to raise the funding privately. And so it becomes uh, a, a kind of a, a partnership in a way in which uh, the states will provide the building and we will, uh, we will raise the money independently but it's a building that, uh, that uh, with its, uh, uh, its size and its history and its long associations with Guernsey is very appropriate for a Victor Hugo Centre because we can, uh, we can have the exhibition performance space, a series of galleries about, uh, about Hugo and, uh, and his relationship with Guernsey and then the, uh, the also a place for the uh, Education Studies Centre and a small library of his works.
2: I noticed in the press briefing that Casson uh, Mann the designer art- architectural designers from London you're hoping to get them involved how yes. did you they seem to be quite have a good reputation how did you get involved with them
1: uh, I first worked with Casson uh, Mann uh, on uh, they were the exhibition designers for the Winston Churchill Museum in London in Whitehall and I was very impressed by their creativity and talent. Uh, They have offices in London and Paris, and so they are very familiar with uh, both exhibition design in in both countries, but actually they're international designers as well. For instance, they were the designers for the Ben Franklin Museum for the National Park Service in Philadelphia. So they have worldwide experience, uh, award-winning projects, and uh, and I think that they can really bring a lot to this. They've produced already a vision document and a brief for the building. And so uh, they're working though together with, uh, uh, with uh, the local architectural practice of uh, uh, DLM architects. And David Delamere is one of the local people of great creativity and talent. Uh, and I think that it is that partnership uh, because, in a way, DLM uh, uh, re- is, is a rep- representative of the creative talent that exists on the island today. And so what we want to do is, is bring these two creative forces together uh, uh, so that we have the, uh, uh, the international quality of the exhibition design uh, matched with the, uh, the local creativity and talent of, uh, of the local architects. But it's, it's rather like Hugo himself, because Hugo is uh, globally recognized as an individual, but he felt very at home in Guernsey. And that combination of international recognition, and yet very much rooted in Guernsey, is what we want the center to be, because it will have a lot of international contacts, both with other uh, uh, Victor Hugo uh, uh, museums and interpretation centers. They're, places in Paris, in uh, Besançon, in France, in Luxembourg, even a Casa Victor Hugo in Havana in Cuba. And so we want to make links with those groups. But also through Hugo's interest in human rights, human dignity, uh, freedom of the individual and freedom of expression, it will be possible to forge links with uh, with other organizations, both universities and institutions, who uh, celebrate and and are explore the uh, issues of human rights, uh, both historically and in the contemporary world. And so, we really view the center as. Locally, it will be a gateway attraction that will encourage people to go all over the island, explore and discover all the places Hugo did in his 15 years uh, here. But at the same time, uh, making those international connections to bring uh, uh, researchers and scholars uh, to the island to really uh, understand uh, what did inspire Hugo and how it continues to inspire People today. Do you have a
2: time frame in mind for sort of uh, a centre, for the centre to be opening?
1: Yeah. We began our work uh, uh, just over a year ago and uh, in that time have, uh, have, in the first instance, uh, secured the, uh, uh, the help of Cass and Mann to develop a vision and a briefing document. Uh, we then uh, spent time working with, uh, with the states' committees. Uh, in order to uh, to agree the uh, in principle uh, uh, use of of the uh, the former uh, state's offices building. And now, having had that building, we have uh, the architects, uh, the exhibition designers and engineers all working now to develop concept designs for the building. Uh, at uh, the same time, uh, I'm engaged in uh, in talking to many local people about uh, about the project and uh, and looking for their uh, their support. Uh, and in terms of a time frame, I would like to see us be able to uh, to to start work on the project uh, within the next eighteen months to two years. That's I think that's a realistic time frame. And then actually creating the project itself uh, will probably take another 18 months to two years so we're really looking at a a four to five year time frame
2: obviously this is a a big project why is it you think that something like this will be popular with islanders considering that i know you've already mentioned about hopeville house there's obviously the statue of victor hugo as well why will this offer something different why will islanders engage with this project
1: the project is really a a celebration of of Guernsey as an island of inspiration as a place of as a seat of creativity Uh, Hugo is a globally recognized uh, figure and it is up to Guernsey to really uh, uh, take advantage of that because The more that we can associate uh, uh, Guernsey and Victor Hugo, uh, the more international interest we'll have, and we believe that uh, the centre will become not only a local gateway attraction, but it will actually draw uh, the international visitors here as well. Uh, If you consider the degree to which Hugo's work is reinterpreted by every generation, uh the historically uh uh, in the 19th century uh uh, operas uh, there are 11 operas based on victor hugo stories in the 20th century it's really film and uh, and musical theater that has has promoted uh, victor hugo we all know les miserables the success it's been produced in 45 countries Uh, and disney's hunchback of notre dame a cartoon character that uh, that has appealed to to hundreds of thousands, to millions of people really globally. And so it has the ability to draw that kind of international audience. But for the people of Guernsey itself, it's actually a recognition of uh, of the importance uh, of Guernsey. It recognizes and celebrates Guernsey's history, but it also is about promoting the creative community that exists here today and, uh, and providing opportunities uh, for uh, for young talent on the island to showcase that talent. so in the exhibition performance space you know we would uh, we would be very pleased and have talked to, with for instance the uh, the music center about being a venue for uh, uh, for musical performances uh, the uh, with about fifty to sixty seats it's a good size that we can design it acoustically well and it is something that will allow Guernsey to really be proud of of who it is, of what it has been, and what what it can be. Uh, Hugo described Guernsey as the rock of hospitality and freedom. And what we want is the Victor Hugo Center to exemplify those words and to inspire future generations of islanders and visitors to advance their creative talents.
0: The chairman of the Victor Hugo Centre Group, Larry Melchich, there, speaking to Guernsey Press journalist Tom Porter. And I have to say, I chuckled when Mr Melchich rather modestly said, I know a bit about museum and interpretation centre design, uh, because moments earlier my jaw had dropped when he mentioned he was the architect that designed the Winston Churchill Museum and the Cabinet War Rooms in London. My visits to those museums a few years ago completely redefined for me what museum design could achieve. So exciting times beckon. It's exciting times for musicians young and old at the moment as the Guernsey Ice Deadford is well underway. The cups, shields and trophies have been returned, lovingly polished and are up for grabs once again. I went to meet the man responsible this year for deciding who picks up which piece of silverware, music adjudicator Ben Costello, who's visiting the island for the first time. And I asked him how it was going.
3: It's been going really well. Uh, There's a really lovely variety of music making going on on the island and some really high standard performances happening. In fact, people would always ask me, so what, what do you think of the standard here? And I'm like, it's really good. What they're really meaning is, is it the same as on the mainland? And it is. I mean, there's some really good work going on. There's some really good teaching going on. So there's some sensible repertoire choices, particularly for the younger year groups as well. That's getting them off to a good start. Um, I've heard performances that have been really very, very moving, uh, particularly some of the vocal performances, actually.
0: And so um, what would you consider to be, uh, can you describe a sensible um, repertoire choice? I mean, what are the do's and don'ts in that area?
3: Well, I guess with singing, um, it's got to be something that is going to be believable in terms of the playing age, is one thing, and then also achievable in terms of the technical ability. So that is quite a fun process to explore. Uh, and when it works, it's really, really wonderful. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. In terms of repertoire for, across the board, it's a wonderful idea for performers to use festival classes as a way to try out exam repertoire as well. So I'm not an examiner; I'm an adjudicator, which means I'm able to give teaching notes. I can give advice about taking the music forward. Which, if they have an exam or an audition coming up, hopefully is useful for them as they take the, as they take their repertoire on.
0: I, I think some people would regard sort of you know giving feedback on something as personal as a as a music performance as being sort of treading a tightrope a little bit. Presumably, you're completely inured to that, and you you, you find it comes naturally now.
3: I've been in the game for quite a while, and um, we we get very strict guidelines as adjudicators about so we're completely objective. I mean, I don't know anything about the uh, music making on the island apart from what I see on the stage at every class which means i'm able to sit here and assess subjectively what i what i hear and what i see and we also have criteria um about marking classifications and stuff so um regardless of how personally i might be motivated by something um, i've got to keep a rational head on about it obviously you do get situations where uh, you know a student performance will be so you know inspiring and moving that, you know, that that does that takes it out of the mundane, then obviously um, that's going to be obviously you factor that in because you're a human being and you emotionally get reactions to that.
0: Um, we're sitting here in uh, beaux Your Theatre where I imagine most of your adjudication has taken place but it's um, it's not just here you're at Capel's Church uh, as well for the, uh, some of the gospel singing I mean, what, what do you make of the various um, venues that we're using here for this?
3: I love that that there's a variety I mean I think it's great that we've got um, this theatre here because it's a very special space particularly for the younger performers to come in and perform in a, in a lovely theatre like this um, the, the, uh, the church yesterday Today was 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 has a lovely acoustic actually and uh, was particularly good uh, for the singers too and um, in fact we were very crowded in there which was lovely there was so much interest in the classes but this is a super little venue a lovely piano that they can use as well and um, it's flexible and spacious and it suits the uh, Stedford well and um, I think this, it's lovely that the uh, that they're getting that support to hold the festival here.
0: Now at the time of speaking uh, there's still plenty of sessions uh, to go in this music uh, part of the Istedford but can I ask you uh, what is the highest mark you've awarded thus far
3: <laughs> I think it's 91. Uh, there's always a bit of sort of, ooh, whenever you get a 90 or above, because that's the highest cats of classification of mark. Uh, and I think that's been the highest. I mean, they're, they tend to be in my back pocket, uh, those kind of marks, and, and, and most of my colleagues too. A uh, performance really has to uh, really be quite outstanding uh, and unobtrusive technical command and something that really moves you. If, if a performance, for instance, moves me to tears, as as one performance d- did uh, yesterday, th- there's a very high chance they're going to be in that bracket. And it's wonderful because that's the beauty of live performances, that those things can happen when you least expect it. It's one of the joys I have of being an adjudicator, is it's, it's those moments that make it very special.
0: Uh, tell me more about that, uh, the one that reduced you to tears.
3: <laughs> you can ask me this. It was one of the choirs, and everything just connected in the moment Uh, it was a combination of very very good training very very good uh, singing technique all working together at the same time and just an energy in the communication of the lyric which was a really fervent bit of text quite a spiritual bit of text and it's a piece I happen to know very well but it was particularly engaging and I was like whoa here we go and it really reached out and grabbed the audience, uh, and it was lovely. I, I can't have been the only one that that was was moved by it.
0: How do you feel about the the role that Ice play in the in the arts world of their communities?
3: It's really important. I think never more than now because it's buffering a, a performing arts. Uh, industry if you like that is constantly being eaten into the interests of other subjects in the curriculum but actually a broad Uh, a broad training of any student in academic and artistic subjects is really really important so the festivals across the UK and overseas can really do play their part in that. I wish that more school children would get involved there's a lot here to be fair so this is really strong here in Guernsey it's not the case everywhere alas and I'm not sure that everyone really knows what goes on sometimes in these uh, festival environments because frequently I'll be so people will say to me, oh, are you going off to do your X Factor bit? And I'm like, well, it's not like that at all, because the judging here, we're all professional musicians. We're all trained to do this job and it's not subjective and it's meant to be constructive and encouraging and useful. For the performers whereas other processes that might make it onto national television shall we say are less constructive and that of course, that i guess that makes great tv but this is a really important part of of, of um, young performers development uh, musically and obviously not just music but the speech and drama steadfords and the dance Uh, Stedford as well. So I think this movement is really, really important. And it's been going for a long, long time. I mean, it started to really get going about 130, 140 years ago. So you find most major cities and towns have got a festival like this, and I hope they continue to, to thrive.
0: And on a more personal note, um, you 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 say that you know some of your colleagues will refer to this as your X factor bit. So it's obviously just one element of, of your work. You're not a full time adjudicator. Oh, um, so yeah. what 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 does make up your sort of working life in in terms of music?
3: I'm probably well, I'm what they call a portfolio musician, which I really like actually. So I do lots of different things. So at the moment, probably. In a good year, I'll probably do about a third of my work will be adjudicating, then the rest will be a mixture of a bit of lecturing, vocal coaching, a bit of singing, performing, a lot of piano playing... And uh, I enjoy that a lot. And I run a concert series in southwest London called Thames Concerts, which is a sort of Wigmore Hall style series. So that takes quite a bit of planning as well. I love the variety of it. And and being your own boss, although it has risks, uh, it's lovely to have that ability to be able to go, do you know what? Guernsey or Stedford have invited me over for 11, 12 days and I can just go and do it. Uh, And there's a lot to be said for that.
0: Um, so, still uh, several busy sessions uh, ahead of you. Thanks for making time in the midst of one of your rare breaks. Um, what are your um, hopes for the uh, the culmination of the music section of this uh, Stedford?
3: Well, it's a really nicely laid-out festival, actually, and there's some very entertaining classes potentially coming up. I'm not going to say any more about that. But um, also they culminate uh, with some really substantial musical theatre classes towards the end of this week, which really make for a nice evening entertainment as much as being an educational experience. So I think, to be honest, anyone who's at a loose end on Friday, Saturday night could do no worse than popping down here and paying a tiny amount of money and having a wonderful evening Uh, of inspiring music Uh, and I'm an I'm an adjudicator obviously but I'm also a member of the audience I want to have a good time as well so the variety in a in a festival like this is just lovely so today for instance we've got uh, singers we've got string players we've got uh, quick study classes we've got choirs and that that is a lovely uh, sort of variety of material to to hear and, and watch
0: And will you hope to be invited back sometime to to do all this again?
3: I hope so. I don't think I've annoyed the committee yet. Um, There's still a few days to go. Uh, It would be lovely to come back. And in fact, two or three of my colleagues have have been over here very recently and uh, they really do speak very highly of it and they're quite right. Uh, It's a lovely festival uh, in which to work. And uh, yeah, I hope I do get an invite at some point soon.
0: Guernsey ice music adjudicator Ben Costello there speaking to me earlier in the week and the music section of the ice culminates this weekend with the big songs from the show's performances on Friday evening that's Friday the 10th of March with the junior version on Saturday and a host of trophies and cups being awarded as the section comes to a close on Saturday evening and it doesn't stop there because on Monday the speech and drama section begins and the following week we'll see the modern language and remaining A's section questions. <laughs> Now, you may recall that the show with which we launched this arts podcast featured the Head of Arts Development at Guernsey Arts, Russ Fossey, and that he outlined a forthcoming long-term plan for the arts that has the full backing of the state through education, sport and culture. Well, now that the plan has been published in full, Russ has kindly agreed to come back to us on a monthly basis to delve a little deeper into each of the nine action plans within that long-term strategy. Our first focus is on festivals – So we invited along the director of the Guernsey Literary Festival, Claire Allen, and Jade Kershaw, who came wearing two metaphorical hats. She's a member of the Vale Earth Fair Collective and also the Community Arts Development Coordinator at Guernsey Arts. I asked Jade how a festival that's been going for 47 years could continue to stay front and centre of people's minds and continue to grow in the way that it has in recent years.
4: I think the festival in itself, because it kind of stemmed from... Um, community love for music and community kind of opinions really Um, it's very close to the people who set it up from from day one and it's 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 hard to put into words about how connected people can feel to a grassroots festival um, because it's part of what is in the island, it's kind of, it's almost part of the infrastructure of of the culture in the island now I, th- I would like to say um and I think everyone's got an experience from uh from well everyone who's grown up in in the island would have an experience from the I think probably it wouldn't be incorrect to say there's 50% of the population who's attended it during their lifetime at some point I mean I'm, I'm not I who in this room has been there. Um, yes. It's yeah. kind of, I imagine wow. you've all been yeah. at least once. <laughs> I, um, I,
0: I should declare an interest insofar as I met my wife at fair in uh, 1996. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, take that as a recommendation, if you will.
5: Um, <laughs> yeah. I so think I might have been at the first one. <laughs>
4: there's a cultural interest to the islands like there's a there's you can't even measure what it means to people on an individual level i'm i know another couple who met at the affair who who got married uh, six years ago and who were just um yeah it's it's kind of like a special thing to them because of that reason and there's so many different individual stories that go on um which yeah you can't quantify it um but also i think on and a environmental and on a political level um it can reach people in that way as well so
0: so your, your branding for the uh, earth fair is is uh based around your your uh, values political values and the money that you raise for certain causes and the the Um, the the rules you set yourself in terms of the provision of vegetarian food, that sort of thing. Is that what you're referring to?
4: Um, Yes. So we we have an ethos that we've always worked to um, and there's some strong core values in that. Um, So from day one, from the first festival, there's always been an eco feel to it because it's always been conscious of... um, of, uh, sorting rubbish making sure everything is recycled and in the 70s obviously that wasn't quite the as done as what you would see today so um we've been doing yeah one of the highlights of each year is is the great bin sort um where we hand pick out all the recycling to make sure that every single piece of rubbish kind of goes to the right place um so it, it's minimizing impact. We've kind of always been conscious of that and we continue to be conscious going forward. Um, and it's great to see that becoming more of a blueprint going forward for all other festivals as well. It's I, it's become a national thing with uh, the way, yeah, with kind of the values of the world almost going forward. Um, so I think that's a really great thing that is something that we as a collective have been keen on and been championing for, for decades is something now that we're seeing as a commonplace thing. Um, so, and on
0: a personal level, um, your involvement in this, I mean, with, with with there being some very specific sort of values that you hold on to in the festival, um, your involvement in this would presumably sort of um, Uh, bring you into contact with other like-minded people on the island so so um has have you do you feel you've benefited personally from being involved as a volunteer in the running of a festival
4: oh definitely yeah um I mean I I got involved with the running of it just because I enjoyed it when I was a teenager as such and I just wanted to to be involved continue on but yeah you're right um I think Clara you must have the same meeting like-minded people as well it's just really beautiful to be in an environment where you can have those conversations and and kind of push yourself forward on the way um that you're viewing certain things and whether it be like a musical debate or a political debate for us it's just fantastic fun
0: and is is that Do you feel that, Claire that you've, because um, you, you, you obviously put in a lot of time, you're now the festival director and you're not getting paid for this work. Uh, I imagine it takes up a lot of hours, but um, the reward is presumably partly, at least uh, not just in seeing events underway, mm. but in, in the connections you make.
6: Definitely. I mean, part of the reason I got involved originally in the Guernsey Literature Festival is I used to run lots of big um, events in the UK. And when I moved to Guernsey, I saw that there was kind of probably a bit, of a gap in the market really for some bigger cultural events on the island um, and it's something I've, I've always been passionate about event organising which is why why I got involved but I think you know for me for example going into a school and seeing the reaction of the, the children you know when an author goes in and they're really inspired it's just incredible or you know, we run a short story writing competition as well for students in the Bailiwick of Guernsey. Um, and to see them go up and get their prizes from an award-winning author is, um, is just, is just. I think it's one of those experiences that is, is, is like gold dust, really, for um, for children here locally to be able to have those opportunities. Um, and equally, you know, the community and the outreach programmes. Um, we've had events take place um, at the hospital in the past and in and, and the Frostau ward and the children's ward there. So it, it's great to see all these different elements of, of the festival. And also, you know, it's a brilliant celebration of local authors. We have a big local author programme as part of the festival um, and we run workshops for local authors. So, you know, we're, hopefully we're providing um, opportunities for local authors to meet with publishers and agents um, and, and also to, to be inspired um, by, other, by other authors and being in the company of other authors.
0: So, Ross, we've got all this um, sort of get up and go amongst volunteers, uh, making things happen and establishing festivals so that that benefit, as as you've outlined, uh, the local community in a variety of ways. What can you at Guernsey Arts do uh, to um, to continue to support such established festivals and also to encourage the establishment of uh, new or newer festivals?
5: interesting i'm just listening to jade and, and uh, claire talk here and I'm, I'm thinking back to um about 10 years ago when i first got involved with guernsey arts and when we were talking about festivals and grants um in my mind there was a, an opportunity to template the way we supported festivals um but what you find what i've discovered over the years is actually festival organizers um have their own passions and their own reasons for organising their festivals. We've we've talked about the Earth Fair and their commitment to raising money for charities and their educational programs, etc., and their accessibility from the literary festival. And I think it's firstly it's really important to respect the reason um, these festivals exist and, and the ethos behind them. And you know if we, we we talked across all the different festivals, there'll be different reasons. So I think the first thing from from our perspective is like we we've got to understand why the festivals exist and we respect that. Um, Festivals uh, want, need uh, or require different things from from Guernsey Arts. We've got a grant system which which, uh, festivals can apply for support for. Um, And there's a, a grant option or an underwrite option in, in terms of the Earth Fair, as they do give their profits to charity, it's very difficult for us to grant them uh, monies, and we've under, uh, given underwrites to the Earth Fair for a number of years, not the last two years, I must say, because of the success. Those underwrites uh, over eleven years were taken up one year when when it, the event was was rained off. Um, so, firstly, there's there's the grant there's the grant side of it. Um, we're always there for opportunities to uh, uh, discuss uh, problems or, 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 or challenges that festivals might have in front of them. Um, we've seen recently there's changes to the charity laws, but we it, it seems the, the festivals are working their way through that fairly, fairly simply. Jade uh, is is raising the sustainable side of festivals, and that's that's I mean that's going to become on all our our minds about you know uh, the, the you know the cost of the environment in terms of of our festivals and how we make those as as neutral as possible. So we we hope to be like a sounding board and a and a. And a uh, an information area uh, for festivals to support them in in that way um and of course through our um, our digital through our website through our social media um through developing our contacts with visit guernsey um and i'm buoyed by the new um tourism management board in terms of understanding the value of the festival scene the whole cultural scene in actual fact to Guernsey in terms of promoting Guernsey and Guernsey being seen um, as a good light within the island, but also uh, projected outside of the island. Um, so I, th- I think we, we can we can become that where that body that sort of sits uh, independently, umbrella body. Uh, is probably the best way to describe it then, that, that can offer support. Our door's are always open, so we're, we're always there for the existing festivals and we're always there to um, for people who, who have an idea to come and talk to us and this week somebody came to talk to us about an idea for a festival in the future um again like claire really somebody that's come to settle on the island that is an event organizer from elsewhere and sees an opportunity but also see you
0: able to spill any beans uh, prob- about what
5: type no, probably, of uh festival probably, probably not because yeah. it's not it's not it's Fair not our our, organo- our our event but I, I would say um you know they recognize in coming to the island that we have our unique challenges um you know um uh, Access to the islands through air or sea, um, cost of that, cost of hotels, uh, venues—you know—can um, can be a challenge. Um, but they're still keen to to start to develop something. Um, so yeah, we're that sounding board, and we're working with them uh, in terms of what support can we can give, uh, introducing them to you know all the all the key players on the island in terms of logistics, venues, etc., cetera. Et cetera.
0: Head of Arts Development at Guernsey Arts, Russ Fossey there, and you also heard from Guernsey Literary Festival Director Claire Allen and Vale Earth Fair Collective member Jade Kershaw. That was, in fact, just an extract of our wide-ranging discussion about festivals and their importance to the Bailiwick's cultural life. Do look out for a special edition podcast in the next few days on which you can hear the discussion in full. That's almost all for this edition of the Guernsey Press Arts Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and do rate and review the pod and spread the word. You can get in touch by email via sdelarue at guernseypress.com if you have a project or event you'd like us to be shouting about. But I'm going to leave you for now with something that could just as easily have adorned our latest sport podcast. Here's the Guernsey Welsh Male Voice Choir singing in Cardiff's Principality Stadium ahead of the recent Six Nations match between Wales and England. Uh, Somewhat drowned out by the crowd, but nevertheless leading things with aplomb. Until next time, bye for now.